0: clubhouse welcome back to pod clubhouse's continuing coverage of the final season of this is us this is for the 15th episode of the sixth season called miguel this is paul
1: this is caroline
0: And before we get rolling, Caroline, since we are heading to the end of this podcast, I'd like to encourage listeners to explore the rest of Pod Clubhouse's offerings. You should know that we have like 40 other podcasts (laughs) that you might want to check out if you enjoy listening to Caroline and I. We pair up with each other and other hosts for shows like The
1: Alienist.
0: The Gilded Age.
1: 1883.
0: The regular Yellowstone podcast.
1: The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
0: Snowpiercer. The Boys. And plenty of others in our library. And we are adding podcasts all the time. Constantly. Constantly.
1: Another one that's coming out super soon is Candy.
0: Plus... Caroline's ongoing podcast series with Hollywood set decorator Beth Kushtick
1: called Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home, where we explore all kinds of tips and tricks that Beth gives that she uses on set that you can use in your own home to create the look you want.
0: And debuting later this summer, we will have Battle Beyond the Movies, my podcast series where we compare movies that with similar themes with a rotating series of guests, hosts, and myself.
1: I love it. And also, finally, with live events and conventions and concerts and everything coming back live, we have our Pod Clubhouse Press Pass that you can check out where we have behind the scenes for hopefully, um, like we're going to have ATX and we have...
0: We had WonderCon and we're hopefully going to attend other big events later this year.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. Finally, everything's back live. It's going to be so exciting. So you guys definitely go check out the Pod Clubhouse library because I know you guys are often looking and waiting for our This Is Us podcast, but we might actually have published five other podcasts that week um, that that had other shows that you may very well be watching. So definitely go take a look. We even have recommendations for other podcasts in our series called Interview with a Podcast, where we talk to other podcasts and introduce them to you. And maybe you guys will uh, find another podcast that you've totally fallen in love with.
0: Thanks for letting us get that out of the way. You're (laughs) actually here to hear us talk about Miguel.
1: So you guys, I want to talk a little bit about John, the actor who plays Miguel.
0: He's John Huertas, who has been a professional actor for a super long time, since 1993. He's been on things like Moesha, Beverly Hills 90210, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Do you remember the Joe Schmo show? Do you remember that? Sure. He was one of the fake one contestants. Of the he was one of the shmoes. <laughs> no, he wasn't one of the shmoes. <laughs> he was he was TJ the Playa. Oh, wow. That's yeah. hilarious. So he was one of the quote unquote contestants. If you don't remember that, that was a very mean spirited show where they would <laughs> fool this poor guy, the quote unquote schmo, into thinking he was in an actual reality show of some kind. Was it a dating show even?
1: I think dating.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So he was actually in the Air Force but he was in Generation Kill on HBO. Now, why are
1: we talking so much about him and him as a person and with his background? Because when I was reading through some of the interviews and and looking forward to this episode and kind of we get screeners, so watching it and understanding a little bit before you guys were all watching it, I was really struck by the authenticity of the relationship between Miguel and Rebecca. And I was wondering, how did they do that? Where is this coming from exactly? You know, John himself was in the writer's room giving, you know, information to the writers, which this one was Johnny Gomez, talking to him about, you know, the influences in his own life and how he felt about caretakers. And you could just feel how much he really genuinely embodied the spirit of Miguel I guess is what I want to say. Mm -hmm. There was this one particular portion that I was reading about how when he was in the what he called elder makeup, he found himself unable to leave Mandy's side. When he was in that mode, he just couldn't even be away from her because he had this connection and this this true vibe of being her caretaker and wanting to make sure that she was okay. Do you feel like that that really struck you as you were watching like how their relationship has progressed and and how real realistic it felt
0: you mean the relationship with him and 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 mandy moore or him and
1: kind of both i guess see the weird thing is like i think the lines blurred you know i mean if he as the actor felt like he couldn't leave her as the actress because he as the character couldn't leave her as the character even when they weren't filming like for me that came across on the screen
0: what struck a chord with me was all of the caretaking scenes and how they were well for me relatable the emotional connection that that he seemed to have with Rebecca or Mandy Moore and making it believable that he did feel this is going to sound backwards but the progression that he that he showed cuz they needed to put Aunt Gabby in there to show kind of where he started as a person with an attitude towards caretaking it wasn't that he was strange to say against it or or not in favor of it cuz it was a family member but he didn't quite understand it either you know so they needed to show how he felt about it at Gabby as a young man, as a man in the younger part of his life, you know, raising a family, et cetera, and then where he got to with his wife later in life. That part struck with me because I can relate to that as a, as a person that had, <laughs> a, I, I guess, a, a, maybe a hard hearted idea about the, about, where I would think of myself as a as a caretaker in those same stages of life. That's what struck a chord with me.
1: What I'm hearing you say is that for you, it's not like you came from a caregiving station in life as a little kid or anything. Whereas like for my own self, like I feel like I've always been a caregiver. You know, I was yeah. the one even as like an eight-year-old that they would like hand the baby to.
0: That's exactly what I mean. And that's what I knew about you. And, and that's I think like that's opposite what you knew about day
1: me. for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Like no one's handing you the baby or the whatever. But like I'm, I was always a caretaker. I always... Sought that out as a position for myself. It's definitely a comfortable position for myself. Not that it's not extremely difficult, but it is something that within my own family, I think we as a whole group I mean, I'm an educator, my mom's a nurse. There's like a lot of like caretaking juices I feel like I marinated in. Miguel as a character for me is so fascinating because I think a lot of people were like, oh my God. Why do we have an entire episode dedicated to Miguel? What even is this? And it's fascinating because when you look back at the story, the larger story, Miguel didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't like, boy, why do why now do we have this episode? (laughs) Why not now, guys? This is the end of his life. This is when his story is wrapping up. And the feel is that, well, where has he been this whole time kind of feel, right? Because it's like, oh, he just pops up out of nowhere and we have this episode on him. And when you go back and if you started back in season one, you would see Mikkel has been there the whole Time He has always been playing this quiet, caretaking, checking in, you know, whether it's checking in on Jack and giving advice, whether it's stepping in and helping with the kids after Jack's passed away. Even when Jack was going through his drinking time, do you remember? And Jack came and spent the night on Miguel's couch. When Jack actually passed away, the kids go over to Miguel's house that night when there's the fire. And everything like he's always been there. It's just that we haven't really ever put the spotlight on him. So God, I think that sums up the caregiver, right? What I just said. They've always been there, but the spotlight's not on them, right? So this exactly. wasn't this wasn't like an out of the blue. This was like he earned this episode to be here and to understand a little bit more about his background, where he came from, the conflicts he had in his own life.
0: Going back just to John as a person, there's scant details on him out there on like IMDb and Wikipedia, but it does mention that he is half Puerto Rican. When you said that he was in the writer's room informing the writers about his own struggles in life that is probably where that would have come from.
1: And, and, you know, the feedback that I have seen online from people with uh, Puerto Rican culture in their lives, felt like the, the mentions I saw was like, wow, they like they, they like hit the nail on the head when it came to like say the food that was being served at the funeral or just like little touches here or there that people weren't being outraged by it. They were 100% being like, they got it. They did their research. They looked, they figured it out and like good on them. What did you think about his parents? Did we need to go there? Did we need to understand his mom and dad, and Gabby, and where he came from.
0: Absolutely. With Gabby, as I already mentioned, we needed to know his history, with his attitudes toward toward caretaking and that maturity that he developed over his over his life. And then with his parents, you and I were uh, live tweeting, so we were getting a lot of fan interaction. On the night that this broadcasts. And so we were able to see what people thought about various aspects of the show. We can cover other details about that in a minute, but particularly relating to his parents, people from similar backgrounds really resonated with that. And they were kind of surprised that a TV show would bring it up at this stage, you know, that that they would try to address the hard question presented here. The the I, I want you to do better than me, but when you do better than me it makes me feel small. Now I don't know how to deal with you anymore.
1: Yeah. And the push and the pull between You know, the culture he came from and the culture they brought him to and and encouraged him to succeed in. But then also had sort of this resentment when he was being too American, perhaps, or like you said, being too maybe showy with their with his money or being too successful when his father was like a landscaper. And, you know, had worked very hard and obviously had a great relationship, it seemed, with the family that he worked for.
0: I'm not the child of immigrants not like my parents. The concept that, that was presented there with the parent not knowing exactly what to do with you when you when you exceeded their own accomplishments or whatever you want to call that, that where you have have made a lot of yourself, let's just say that, made a lot of yourself in life and, and the parent not knowing what to do with that. So I haven't experienced that exactly. My parents, I think, did want me to to do as, as best as I can. And that's the same thing that, that I think he did. He, he developed this work ethic because they put it in him, you know?
1: Yes, they were they, they 100% look like hardworking individuals.
0: And now that he had it, that was the – now that he was exploiting that and, and, and things were – I think good things were happening for him – I think that 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 moment with his dad was like, that's a good question. And I don't know the answer. (laughs) We can talk about it later. Whatever the exact quote was.
1: He said, ask me again later. Ask me again later. Well,
0: that was just a perfect response, though. and Because I I liked that moment where he wasn't dismissed
1: and he wasn't... He wasn't yelled at in some way. Because, I mean, that's what most dads would kind of blow up and be like, how dare you challenge me and my thinking, you know, like that kind of thing. But for him to say... You know what? I don't know what I think of you. I don't know who I am. I I don't know what's going on. Ask me again later.
0: I wish that there had been a little bit of resolution with that because we're just left with that. And then maybe the idea that he and his dad, when his dad died, we're not maybe on on great terms
1: It was a little tough because the mom said he was proud of you, you know, and and Miguel said, I just wish I had more time. So it didn't make it sound like they had been estranged or they hadn't been talking or anything like that, but just that maybe later hadn't ever come. Maybe the father hadn't ever really come to a conclusion with those feelings. And so he didn't have a chance to ask him again later.
0: And that's men for you. (sighs) Uh, But that moment that asked Me Again Later lets me know that his dad n- mentally knows. Just if you were to make a bullet list of... I taught my son these things and he's acting this way. This, it's
1: practical. Um, yeah, you know, this
0: happened on purpose. Right. You know, it's not an accident. Right. No, but now how do I feel about it? That's the man part where it's like.
1: Right. I didn't know I, I was going to feel I, sensitive about exactly. it at the end yes. of the day. Yes. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And you could see that, you know, in many households, you know, one parent is more sensitive than the other. And in this household, it definitely seemed like the mom, you know, had the sort of the more emotional chip of the two of them. I feel like Miguel himself up until the very end, didn't know whether he was supposed to be American, whether he was supposed to be Puerto Rican. But what he did know is he was meant to be a caretaker. And maybe the identity wasn't wrapped up in nationality, wasn't wrapped up in culture, but maybe was wrapped up in that identity of being a caretaker and being in this loving relationship. And that's what I took away from it, was that's what his role, you know, and his sort of his identity, for for lack of a better word, really ended up being.
0: That is something that, that I need to be aware of, that people are around me are going through. You know, that idea of how much of my culture am I supposed to honor? How much am I supposed to put to the side now because I'm in America and I'm supposed to be American? That is something I hadn't really looked at completely with uh, the sensitivity that I might have needed to give it.
1: They definitely put a spotlight on it with the Mike Rivers portion and that he had put in two resumes at Lundy and that the Miguel resume did not get a call back. But Mike Rivers was hired basically on the spot. He barely even asked Any questions at all, and and he was hired. And I had seen uh, several things on Twitter and on different um, social media where people were like, Yeah, my mom or my dad used a fake last name to initially get hired. And it wasn't until they were hired and they went to HR and they were like, Actually, you spell my last name like this. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be, you know, a much more ethnic last name. It, It was really important, I think, for them to continue to layer in the individual challenges that our characters throughout the show have had. That they didn't necessarily hit anyone over the head with, but they kept trying to explain. And the one thing that they 100% explained and and was very clear was he never felt like he was 100% Puerto Rican. He never felt like he was 100% American. But he also didn't feel like he was 100% the dad in the family with Shelly and Andy and Amber. But he never really felt like he was the dad in the Pearson group either. So it was like the man never really could fill both shoes and be comfortable in his own skin and the role he was playing at that point.
0: Except for being Rebecca's husband. That was one thing that he he wore easily, except for what <laughs> related to the kids. But everything else, the day in, day out, when it, especially when when... He needed to be that caretaker.
1: I think caretaker. He, I I think husband. I'm gonna. I winced a little because I don't know, man. I mean, forever the Jack. Where's Jack? Where's Jack? Like forever the who's her, who's Rebecca's actual husband? Is it Jack? Is it Miguel? I saw all this biz about who would be at the pearly gates when Rebecca, you know, goes up there. Is it Jack standing there? Is it Miguel standing there? Are they both standing there? And then a lot of people answer biblically and was like, "There's no marriages in heaven." Everybody's just on your own at that point. There's none of that. (laughs) There's none of that (laughs) business. So I still don't think as much as you're saying he was comfortable in being the husband of Rebecca, I don't think he was comfortable as the head of the Pearson household being the dad, the patriarch, the whatever of that group. I don't think he was. I don't think he
0: tried to assume head of Pearson household.
1: Me neither. But, But he could have you know like it was kind of built in there he everyone figured out that like she was married to jack i want to say it was like 19 years something right about there and maybe 20 and with miguel it would have been more like 22 years so in all actuality she was with miguel longer it's all fascinating but clearly the kids didn't accept him in either family you know for a long time there for a was long a time. there was a lot of push and pull like he was never fully embraced by either family and i mean fully By everybody. Ugh, what a difficult position for Miguel to be in. He just kind of bounced along in life until he fell into that role of caretaker. And then you're right. I think when I winced at husband, I totally relaxed at when you said caretaker because that was the point where he was like cemented in. Like there is no one to take care of Rebecca better than Miguel. I agree. So one of the things that someone noticed on Reddit and I thought was really a beautiful comparison was the tree symbol that we have with Jack's death. Um, when they go they show um, they show a back flashback way back when it was in another season where the kids and, and they go when they they're at jack's tree if you will and then we have miguel planting the apple tree for rebecca here by the cabin and they are constantly standing by the tree and even at the very end spreading ashes by the tree and you know to me that was the moment when jack and miguel became more equal in the pearson's Grouping, You know, like, like before that, I really honestly feel like Jack was still over Miguel, you know, despite the fact that Miguel had been there longer, Miguel had been through more with Rebecca and everything. Still, Jack, you know, was the husband, you know, and then there was Miguel.
0: I wonder if in the uh, flash forward scene, you know, the moment when um, Kevin arrives and he looks back down at the old cabin. Yeah. I wonder if the trees are part of that shot that we, obviously, it's in the woods and there were trees. and But but I wonder if those trees were part of that shot, like the cabin and Jack's tree and Miguel's tree. And he looks and he kind of gives a tiny, teeny smile of acknowledgement before he heads inside. You know the scene I'm talking about? I do. What you're saying is that Fogelman and crew stitch through something that only the most observant viewers would put together but it's it's a lot like novel writing the way that they they've done that you know the the foreshadowing and the and the thematic through line of of the trees and the and the two men
1: being treated equally yeah. Is the, is the big thing is that you know they their deaths were treated equally so they were of equal importance. No longer do we have to hierarchy them as first husband and then Miguel. <laughs> like it's it's like no they were both her husband they're both equally important in her life and and in the kids lives. So let's talk let's let's talk a little bit more about Miguel's life. So let's jump back just real quick back to the beginning of. Miguel's story, being in Puerto Rico, playing baseball with his pals, you know, talking about Clemente and and the games and everything. What did you think? What were you sort of feeling about understanding Miguel's background?
0: We were supposed to understand that he came from a position where, where he was handed nothing and that he would have just about every disadvantage you could have built in. To how he was going to get where we met him several years later as an adult in the this is us story, but that he could still find joy in the things that he that he could like playing baseball.
1: did you like how they wove baseball kind of throughout?
0: I find it interesting that Jack's game is football <laughs> and then... Miguel's game is
1: baseball. I like that yeah. Good catch yeah. One is not better than the other. One's
0: not better than the other. And, and there's a lot of crossover in the fans, but you, but there's definitely baseball people and there's definitely football people. You Very
1: know? fascinating. I never thought about that, but you're totally right. I, I appreciated how baseball kept coming up. Like, you know, when he does go inside, the owner of the house um, talks to him about the game, the baseball game. And Miguel's just happy to be there. He's just like, I'm happy to watch Clemente anywhere. And he's like, no, where you sit is all that matters, that starts to kind of seep into Miguel and, and what it means. And then we see them, you know, later on having that dream sequence mm-hmm. between his father and then... Lundy. Yeah, well...
0: Yeah, th- it was Lundy the boss.
1: I thought... it Oh, fascinating. I thought it was the guy who owned the house, the landscaping house.
0: Well, shoot. I thought it was Lundy the boss because it was after the mom and it was after the Christmas
1: Ooh, okay. visit that had
0: gone so poorly.
1: Okay, well I'm gonna leave that a little that was his first like impression of success was the man saying it matters where you sit. That's all that matters. So I thought that's what was he was torn between that and what his and his dad and well, he was running between the two men.
0: Well in that quote
1: So but you were catching it to be Lundy though, as yeah. if Lundy Okay Well
0: because Lundy is who's paying him, his Yeah, sure. Is is Showing him the way to you guys.
1: We watch this on screeners, so again, when you guys like are rewatching this, as I know you guys well, you know, take a look. And who knows? Maybe it actually was first the guy in the house, and then maybe the second time we go back, maybe it's Lundy's face. I'm not Bo- sure.
0: Both men are
1: they're representative
0: of uh, the paving the path to quote American success. What that looks like: the big mm-hmm. house, hiring the gardener,
1: the fancy uh, car.
0: Exactly. It's going back to that dream, though. I think we are supposed to understand that he picks one route, and that is success. What he thinks of as success. What he believes that his dad wanted for him, even though his dad may not know what to do with it. That dictates a lot of what happens for for the rest of his middle age, anyway, in terms of working, having the family. But he puts the work first, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Which if you think about it, you know, they did show with his dad, he took Miguel with him to work. Yeah. He was with him at at the house and then with his own family, Miguel's getting yelled at by his wife that like, you know, you're not here and you didn't get, you weren't a part of Andy's, you know, school thing and all this stuff. So he's not being a very present parent when it comes to his own kiddos. So that that's a big difference between him and the way that his dad did things.
0: I think we're also supposed to understand when he moves to Houston.
1: Mm-hmm. And he says it's closer to his kids.
0: That was the only reason to move to Houston. We live in Houston. And so it was interesting to see those, the backgrounds that they had chosen. Like he's standing in the doorway. He's standing in his office. I know that they probably still shot it in L.A. just for convenience sakes or whatever. But what they chose would represent pretty big houses for Houston. So why I would mention that is that I think he bought a big house because he expected to have his kids there sometimes. Yeah. And what they showed us was they didn't come over at all.
1: Yeah. Very empty house. It didn't look f- furnished. Like in the kitchen, it was like the countertops were very empty. You know, it didn't, it didn't look full, you know. It certainly didn't look full of life, but didn't even look like he really furnished right. the there house. Were, I
0: mean, if those kids were over, there'd be like cereal. There'd be toys. There'd be stuff having to do with kids. But No. There was none of that stuff.
1: Right. You're right. Miguel, he had a rough go. When he said the line, I failed at everything else. I'm not going to fail at this. I, again, even though he's been there the whole time, like I never viewed Miguel as a failure. You know, I mean, it looked like career wise, he was actually very successful. He was able to retire at a pretty young age. You know, when he and Rebecca are laying in bed and she's like, yeah, retire, move here and stuff. They're not like ancient.
0: I think you mentioned on a podcast recently was the, uh, I wish I'd worked more <laughs> on your deathbed, right? He's at that age where he's like, oh shit, I, I'm looking back at that and I, I shouldn't have gone to work as much as I did. Or whatever reassessment that he's having that says I failed, he's reassessing that what I what I value now, I didn't know that I would value now.
1: I thought he actually had enough money to retire kind of early, and it looked like he did. Well,
0: but yeah, so that's great, but he didn't-
1: At the expense of uh, his original family, right, surely. In his yeah. final
0: analysis, though, yeah. that didn't matter as much No, you're
1: them. right. You're right. He didn't, When he said, I was a failure at everything, I mean, I, I was quick to like jump in his defense and be like, wait a minute, you were very successful in your career and stuff, but you're right. He did not put career success and monetary success even on the chart then. Because clearly they had money to move to L.A., to live by Kate, to live in a house. They always showed—anytime they showed the house, which remember even when Kevin went to go live with them for a little bit, they showed Miguel and um, Rebecca's home. It was lovely. Mm -hmm. So never were they without, you know. And and so in that regard, he was successful in being, you know, the the breadwinner, you know, and being able to provide for his families. He obviously did, but he didn't look at that as— Something to mark down as success. Yeah. Certainly in relationships, Miguel struggled. And because he had such a great relationship with Rebecca, I never 100% paid attention to how strained every single other relationship was. Like with all the Pearson kids, with his original family, even you could kind of say with his dad, I guess. Like he never had this like big, warm embrace of family, you know, even though he seemed like such a good person.
0: I think we caught him in that part of that transition where he was reevaluating what mattered to him, but so much water had already gone under the bridge with those other things. Yeah. So he was, we saw him where he could start to move forward in terms of like the adult Pearson children Mm -hmm. and Rebecca as his wife but maybe water under the bridge is the wrong visual it seemed more like he burned a bridge with the, with his old family and he did. and it was over it was yeah. it was he couldn't fix it and cuz as much but, as like, he would do there was, there would be no reciprocation
1: yeah when you hear about people like that who are like yeah i just completely don't have any contact with that family you would think like, oh gosh, Miguel, like what happened? You know, like you might have concern or whatever. And I never had that concern this whole time with Miguel because of his relationship with Rebecca. I was always like, oh, he's such a loving family man and all this stuff. But like, meanwhile, it's like, don't don't look in the closet <laughs> where yeah. my previous family is like hating me. Like I never really thought of him like that. And that so that's it's one of those, fascinating. That's
0: one of those this is us moments where I think we've met men, I don't know about women, but I'll say men that get to that reassessment age that are all of a sudden entirely different people than their reputation. um,
1: I would say someone like William, right? Where where if you took him on paper- his drug addiction past, his difficulty dealing with a lot of different aspects of his life. You on paper, you would be like, mm-hmm. This person made bad choices or whatever. But like we love William. Like we think William is a fantastic human being. But like you like aren't paying attention. And Jack's the same way. All of his drinking, we've had we had that time when he left the house, when Rebecca essentially kicked him out, you know? And we had that whole time. But we really conveniently ignore that and just act like you know no jack is just like you know he is by the book a good man and i think what it does for me is it it broadens your definition of what a good person is good people have struggles good people have times in their lives when they might be an addict, or they might be someone who does end up losing relationships with family members and stuff. It does not mean they are not a good person, you know, that they are not someone who deserves your full and total respect. People have too narrow of a viewpoint, I guess.
0: This obliquely reminds me of something an art teacher told me once, and I've told you this before, and it relates to men. So much about what motivates and drives a young man is tied up in basically hormones. Once you reach this age where that particular hormone starts to go away and not be as present in your life anymore, as this art teacher put it, he says, it's like a fog clears <laughs> and all of a sudden you can think straight. Having gone through at least part of that transition in my own life, I think that's very freaking true. And that's part of what we saw with both men. We didn't see Jack get as far into it, mm-hmm. but I think that's true with... with um William William with with Miguel mm-hmm. just that fiery drive it's not that older men don't have drive it's just more like they have a more well-rounded I, approach to what's important to them whereas it was very well, narrow before I
1: think I think you know when you're young there's that sense of uh, I mean that primal sense of procreation
0: yes you know I didn't su- want to be crude but yes, that was the m- crude. main that, driver.
1: That's, that's a species, you know. Your your whole thing is supposed to keep the youngins that you made alive through making money and having well, a shelter and bringing them food make and like more of them on a right on a primal level, though. Like yes. have more of them than are the two of you that are going to die. Like that's like the primal level, right? Yes. Replace yourself. And you're right. Once that part's done, I mean, I think it comes across in women in a different way too. Where there's like after you raise kids to a certain point, it's like, what do I do with my life now? You know, whether I return to my career that maybe I put on pause, or whether I ramp back up my career, or like, whatever, like, it's kind of weird. It's like, what do I do now? I still have like a lot of life to live. But like, my identity is very different. And my goals are very different. And I don't know, this is definitely opens your mind, I believe, to seeing people on across this broad spectrum of life, you know, from zero all the way to death, we're seeing Miguel running around as this little boy and we're watching him pass away all in one episode. It, it it really does conjure up all those feelings, you know, of like, God, that was like whiplash. But also, my God, how many things as a person you go through, how many transitions, like you said, how many evolutions of myself, you know, will there be you mm-hmm. know, you know, he struggled in so many parts, but he had success. I My heart really broke for him when he said he was a failure. and everything. I mean, Paul, you know me. You know, I wanted to like reach the screen, like hold his hands, be like, you're not a failure, Miguel. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> well, as I mentioned,
0: we, we live tweeted. carolyn has been fans of the show since day one. I've been fan of the show since second season or yeah, so. Yeah, you,
1: you started watching with me second season.
0: And the Miguel hate early on was a real thing.
1: Yeah. And a lot of that, though, was based in the lack of information about when did Miguel come in on the scene. Like that had never really been clear. And in this season was really the first time when we were given definitive like it was eight years between this time and this time it was. You know, years between this time and this time, like Miguel did not swoop in, Miguel was not waiting at the funeral. He moved away even. Like there was no snatching of Rebecca that happened. And I think people's gut instinct was that he he came in, you know, just, just grabbed her up like vulture. Yeah. You know? And that was where the hate was coming from.
0: Well, in that in that live tweeting, I would say that that attitude has mostly reversed. I got maybe five, 10% in the category of that they were bored, that they didn't like this episode for just, you know, personal reasons. I completely disregarded those posts. Maybe another 5% that were still in the I'll never care about Miguel camp. <laughs> uh, he stole. Jack's right. wife. Right. But the yes. rest of the of the fan interaction was I can't believe we're going to see Miguel die tonight. I don't want this to happen. It's happening too fast. This is too soon. Yeah. They've done a really effective job of bringing people around at being maybe not as soft-hearted as you, but but um they didn't want to see that. What did you notice in terms of people's Opinions, attitudes, trends.
1: It was as they were filling in those blanks, you could feel people changing their tune over this whole season. Like I wouldn't just say in this one episode, but as we've been given more information about their relationship and even as we watched it in this episode unfold. So let's talk about that Facebook interaction. We had seen it from Rebecca's side in the test birth episode um we had seen her make the connection and and see the the dm if you will and uh, we had seen it her elation from her side but we had never seen it from miguel's side and so the back and forth i i really enjoyed the small parts like we didn't see miguel's death we didn't see their marriage but we saw a lot of their day-to-day you know i should say it differently i should say that very differently we didn't see their wedding but we 100% saw their marriage. Just her having the the phone sitting by her dinner plate and Miguel same and them talking back and forth and FaceTiming and him obviously making these visits and the pillow time conversations and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like for me, I felt like I understood their life, their day to day, their real life marriage back and forth of, of how it worked. All of the appointments for Miguel that we saw with having, you know, the doctor just be talking at Miguel and you just see every time he'd be sitting in the chair, he was a little older, Mm -hmm. a little more worn out. Then he had a cane, you know, then it was like, you were watching this happening. And I agree with everybody that it felt so fast, but you know, I'm going back to Randall's speech at Kate's second wedding with the whole life just gets faster and faster and faster and faster. And so Yeah, it did feel like watching someone's life go by in 40 some minutes from watching them as a little tiny boy to them passed away is a lot to take in for anyone, especially a character of a beloved family like this. It's difficult to take in the enormity, especially how well layered and how much you really start to care about these characters, you know?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What did you think about their choice to really show... The progression of the relationship, you know, the the their sort of kind of meet-cute moment in the bar where, you know, Jack's like, enough's enough. I'm going to make you two finally have to have a conversation together. All of that.
0: I don't remember Rebecca being...
1: I thought she was being kind of snarky and crappy. Yeah, I was to gonna be say honest.
0: snotty. Yeah, in that scene. It, And it was I'm not most people. Like And it was uncharacteristic
1: uh, when she goes, Why do you do that? Why do you say people's names? Now, first of all, I'm someone who says people's names. So I was like, back off, girl. Like it's something you do because it makes the person feel special that you remembered them. Like when people hear their own name in a happy way, they usually light up. It's kind of funny. But if you come in the room and you're like, John, they usually smile and say, like, oh. You know, like, you remember me, <laughs> you remember my name. People like it. So I was like, girl, you're off base and being like shitty about that. But also, you're right. I never would imagine she would be edgy about Jack's best pal. Like, I was like, this, is, this was their relationship? Okay. I
0: guess I just don't remember that as clearly. The doctor's visits and how every time they showed him when he was older, that period reminded me again of something I've noticed in real life that uh, up until they come to Jesus with the big three, right, where they were basically relieving him, saying, you've done all you can do, and, mm-hmm. and now it's time. It's time to
1: let us take care of you.
0: But if he, they had never said anything, he would have kept going.
1: Yeah. I think
0: I've seen this in, in real life where I don't know what to call it. There's something about needing to be there for somebody else that props up a person in terms of whatever... The, whatever system store that they have running low in their body. Somehow they were able to just ignore it like he was doing with the hip bruise and yeah. whatever else was going on with him that they didn't tell us that old men have.
1: The His heart. His heart was a big part. They kept saying, are you taking your medications? And I mean, ultimately, the heart failure.
0: But he was able to just keep pushing. He was able to yeah. keep going. He was he, and he, For her. And he even looked younger. In the span of time between that Conversation and the physical therapy at home, and the doctor's appointment with the cane, et cetera, et cetera. That wasn't that many years, Mm -hmm. but he, whatever span of time. Span of age, span of years that he had been able to kind of emotionally and physiologically put off by propping himself up. That's the only word I can I can use in that frame of mind. Caught up with him quickly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And I swear I've seen that in, in real life.
1: Are you maybe sitting across from a person that you might have seen that in?
0: Probably. <laughs>
1: Probably, <laughs> I would say that the last 18 years, I did a great job of like pushing off a lot of physical things and a lot of issues. And only in the last like two years have it been finally like where I was like, I can't like I have to go to the doctor myself. I have to take care of this myself. I'm or just falling asleep. <laughs> you know, where I'm just like, I'm exhausted. Like I can't do anything extra. You've seen me start to say no to other people. You know, where I where in the past, I would have gone running for every little thing. Someone needed me somewhere else. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, my family comes first and I really have to take care of this group first and not be able to add to my list. So, yeah, I mean, I 100% think that they did a beautiful job at that. I have to say the scene where Rebecca goes out to the snow and when Miguel actually fell, I flinched so hard (laughs) when he physically fell to the ground. I was like, (gasps) because... I mean, first of all, you and I have had moments. I have fallen down the stairs holding our deafblind child because I, I'm trying to do something with her and I'm not paying attention to myself. And my heel just hits just so. And I fell down the stairs. She was fine. She was 100% fine. But I did the total, like, hold her in the air while I, like, take every impact on the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And or, or
0: the aspect of.
1: I don't even know. Hold on. I don't even remember going to the doctor for that. <laughs> You know, I fell down the stairs, you You know, Uh, you know, I I fell and I and I hit, you know, all body parts on the way down. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't like I'm sure I had bruises all over and just, oh, well, I had kids to take care of.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the flip side of, of that moment was that he was hurt. He was seriously hurt. He didn't break it, but it. It was a bruise, and and when old folks bruise, it stays with them a long time, you know? Yeah. And she laughed. And that is also a very true moment where whoever you're taking care of, for whatever reason, they may not know exactly what's going on. Right. And they may behave or react in a way that is completely inappropriate to just what happened to you in your life. Mm -hmm. And being laughed at or being ignored or being whatevered after that is the wrong response but in that caretaker mode you
1: swallow it man
0: exactly you can't <laughs> you can't, Certainly react. can't be
1: mad at the person for laughing at you or anything but she was so genuinely gleeful about the snow she was so in her own world that you know not it, it was just such a a picture perfect reality of like she didn't even recognize that he was hurt you know and Mm -hmm. here he is having to try to like coerce her into the house even after that same like i'm there comforting a crying lauren because she was startled because i fell down the stairs she wasn't hurt in any way she didn't hit anything but it was like i was left to comfort her just as he was still having to go and try to warm her up but then they're sitting on the couch and he just puts his head on her lap you know like so just uh, defeated in that in that scene that I was just like, oh my God, you know, like, you would get to the point, especially in that situation with Alzheimer's where you have someone who would who would elope, who would leave the, the area. I could imagine where you would get to the point of almost wanting to just sleep with your head on their lap
0: mm-hmm. so that
1: you knew if they got up, you know, and how he gets up earlier than her every day to just sit in the chair and just watch.
0: I think what you're hearing us say over and over and over again. <laughs>
1: in many different ways.
0: Is that Although this episode is unique in that it focused on Miguel, it focused on someone who's essentially a non-core character. So much of it was relatable, some of it was so much of it was really well done. Some of it um re- resonated with with us, some of it resonated with other members of the audience, but all of it was uh meaningful and and really well done in a in a very intentional and careful way. This episode regardless of its relation to the overall arc of the Pearsons and their big 3ness could probably stand alone as a as its own like yeah you know, probably
1: short little movie, movie or movie of the week or whatever it probably could you're right showing the
0: whether it's the immigrant experience or the I think the caretaker, caretaker experience
1: yeah well and one of the things that i saw that john had said in an interview was he said i think it's very important that people take away what the caretaker means to the person they're taking care of. And that's an aspect, of, like, when you said he's not a main character, that's true. But Rebecca certainly is a core character. And because he's, like, her right hand, there becomes that feeling of you can't have one without the other. You know, you can't have Rebecca without Jack, or you can't have Rebecca without Miguel, because there's that sense of yin-yang. There's that sense of, of and especially in the caretaker part, Where she is so, I mean, the terror on her face and in her voice when Miguel just walks away for a moment and she doesn't see him for just a moment and she starts yelling for him. Mm -hmm. I did the whole clutch the pearls because I was like, this is such a level of dependence, such an extreme response to him just simply not being in her view. You know, he didn't even really leave the house. He didn't. He didn't much less go anywhere. You know, he just. She just didn't see him for a second. And when he when he explains it to the big three, and he's like, six forty five in the morning, I'm the first person she sees, and that centers her, that grounds her, that starts her day from this like this point where she can now try to handle everything else. Boy, I just was like, the tremendous responsibility Miguel has with this other person is just oh my God, I was like awestruck by the whole thing. Because it's something that actually you and I have fought really hard against with our own children. One of the things that, and that might sound a little odd, you guys might be like, what are you talking about? One of the things that I said very early on was, I have to allow other people to take care of our kids, most especially Lauren, who's deafblind, because I would be doing a disservice to her if the only way she could ground herself when she woke up in the morning was to feel mom being there first. That would be unfair to Lauren because I'm not going to be here for the rest of her life. I'm going to only be here for the rest of my life. She should outlive me by, by a whole lifetime, right? So I always felt like it's so important to have people come in and be other caretakers to take breaks and to have those other people who are who are constantly there. And I mean, it's something that we deal with with you because you put her to bed and she has taken to only wanting to go to bed if you're there. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. And it's a huge responsibility. Like, doesn't it kind of make you feel like you can't go and be gone for nights and nights and nights because you know, this is going to be an issue. And that's like Miguel, like, it's like, there's this part that I guess I would encourage caretakers, if you're listening, it's something that I really was adamant about, partially because I could not handle the level of responsibility of like, what do you mean? I could never be sick. I mean, we had a third child, I could never I mean, I was I had to go, (laughs) I had to be in labor and delivery, you know, like, there's part there's parts of your life where you just cannot be there you have to have other people who can step in and who your, your person that you care about is comfortable with to be able to come in on that scene. And that was what Miguel had to become comfortable with in its, it's a real gift to the person who you're caring for if you do that before there's a crisis,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: before you have to do it. But, you know, work those people in when you still have time to uh, to do it in a calm and orderly fashion, right? Right. <laughs> but, yeah, this episode overall, I mean, I I know that the way that the show structures itself, that there's no real reason we won't see Miguel in these last three episodes I know in the future timeline he's gone and I know that, you know, we are supposed to be moving only forward really, but we're not. We're still bouncing. There's really no reason why we wouldn't see glimpses of him through memories, through flashbacks, through whatever. So I don't think Miguel is gone for us or John really is gone for us. Right.
0: Right. Uh, What's the next one called? The meeting, the family meeting.
1: Yeah. And we saw the little uh, clips for that of, of, you know, okay, Miguel's gone. Now what are we going to do? And we saw the part that I know we all were not wanting to see because Rebecca tried so hard to sit down and have that conversation with the kids preemptively and say, here's what I want to happen. I want, you know, Miguel first and I want Kate to be in charge of my medical stuff. I'm sure that that next part where she lives and who takes care of her day-to-day apparently wasn't addressed in figuring that part out. Mm-hmm. So uh, now Right. The cabin
0: gonna... is closer to Randall, right? Yeah, Cause if Because if Kevin is still by his twins and working on the, on the sitcom-
1: Right. He's out in L.A. He's in L.A. Very tricky biz. I mean, but we saw the boys already start to, we did. to bicker in the in the little clip. So oi oi oi, you guys. I feel very nervous about that. I really don't want that for this family because while it's realistic, and it is so realistic, my own grandmother is in her nineties and one of her biggest concerns is that any of her kids would start fighting. Now, they've never fought her whole life. There's never been an issue their whole life. But when it comes for care or when it comes to making decisions, that is like the perfect hotbed opportunity for resentment and stuff to start brewing, even amongst the most cordial siblings, you know? Yeah. So, goodness, I am – nervous paul about what is coming i'm really excited we've had a lot of people reach out ask us hey when's the next podcast you guys again please Check out some of the other podcasts in our library when you're waiting for us, because we will 100% get our our next This Is Us out. But we want you to come along with us on other adventures, because sadly, this one's ending. This is Caroline.
0: And this is Paul. Please remember, in the few weeks we have left, to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so that people in future times reviewing (laughs) This Is Us can come back and listen to the podcast And enjoy it and find it on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, Please leave a rating and a a, a kind review.
1: Five stars, people. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. PodClubhouse!